Jack about singing a solo, I, I told my dad that if, uh, if it was going bad up here yesterday on the phone, that I'd start singing a solo. And he told me that I should sing so low that nobody would hear me. So I thought that was encouraging. Okay. Now, ma- now, many of you guys probably have gone through trials before. Just this morning, Justin Erickson, he went through a, a trial. He just walked out his door. Or he, just, he got in his car, him and his wife, and they were heading to church, and they just got in a car accident. That's not fun to get in a car accident because it takes time to get your car repaired. And, I did, and obviously, Justin really wanted to be here. And it's a trial, and it's a circumstance that wasn't beneficiary, beneficial to him. Now, some of you may be struggling with trials today. In fact, some of you may have children that are currently sick or have been in the hospital. Some of you also might be going through a divorce right now. You know, I, I don't know. There's a lot of people here, so I'm not sure what type of trial you're going through or you have gone through before. But it is true that we all go through trials. They're inevitable. Some of you might be struggling, struggling with situations at work. You may be having problems with your boss. Some of you even may have a husband who you don't think is godly and doing his job at the home. Some of you may have a wife who's not carrying up her responsibilities and being submissive to you at the home. And some of you may have children who are disobedient. And even some of you junior hires or high schoolers in here, you may be struggling with peer pressure. Or you may be, you know, I know in high school, a bunch of students, they struggle with having zits on their face. You know, it's just one of those things. And it's a trial that they have to encounter. But although each one of us goes through various trials and various struggles, what are we supposed to do? What does the Bible say that we're supposed to do? It's real important that we understand this since we all go through trials. Just this past week, I was uh, sitting on a couch after Easter, and uh, I was eating some candy, and my, I felt something in my mouth, and uh, I, I went in there, and I, I, I found my tooth. <laughs> and uh, I was like, that stinks. That, that, I was, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't good. So anyway, so then my tooth is hurting, right? And, um, and, I'm, and I, I just had a week off of school, and, and then, but the Lord allowed my tooth to break right when I had to go to school. And so you think, well, well how's, that, how's that help? But then I was, uh, I was working, I had to teach in seminary this past Tuesday, and, I was, uh, and the, my computer erased my whole message. So I had to go back and start all over again. And, and then it, I tell you, our house, the Jamie and I right now, it, uh, it, it has termites, so we've got to move out in about a week now because um, it's, it's going to get tented. And then our cars are breaking down. And, you know, my wife's due in, three, in four weeks here. And I'm graduating and have all these finals. And you know what? Th- these trials come. But there's something exciting. And this is that we can rest in. And this is the Word of God. And today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 23. So I invite you guys to turn to Psalm 23. Because since each of us go through trials, and we have to deal with them in our life, what are you supposed to do? This psalm... 23 is an extremely famous psalm. It's probably the second most famous passage in the Bible other than John 3.16. Just for instance, on, on Friday, I heard that over at Village Christian School, the kindergarten class has to memorize this psalm. I mean, this psalm is so famous that even a secular rap song uses some of its words from here in its lyrics. I mean, it's, it's that well known. 
For over 25 centuries plus, this psalm has been a treasure in the hearts of many people. One pastor, J. Sidlow Baxter, stated this, To have written this psalm is one of the highest honors ever given to man. I would rather have written this one short piece than have conquered nations like Alexander the Great or Caesar. He goes on to say, I would rather have been the penman of these few sentences than have evolved philosophies like Aristotle. He goes on to say why it was so amazing. He states that the psalm has brought more benign and lasting comfort to human hearts than all the spectacular victories of warriors. Libraries have grown and perished, but these lines remain. This psalm is an absolutely incredible psalm. It is pregnant with truth about God and the shepherd we need to trust in as trials come. I like to look at this psalm and understand that this psalm is so pregnant, it's like nine months pregnant with two, months, with two weeks added on. Because that's how much truth is in here about God as your shepherd. Today, as we go through here, and we're going to read here, I want you guys to understand not just the psalm, but the shepherd of the psalm. It is necessary for you guys to do that. Follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is extraordinary. And the first thing I want to show you from the psalm is I want to explain what it's all about. The first thing that we see and if you look at me in verse 1 here, it says that the Lord is my shepherd. This is a metaphor. I'm sure you guys are very good at English. And so in English, remember you guys, remember the things metaphors or similes? A simile is when you compare something to something else when you use the words like or as. And a metaphor is the same thing. You compare something to something, out, something else without using the words like or as. So how is this a metaphor? Well, David says the Lord is is my shepherd. He compares the Lord with the shepherd. But interestingly, this is real important. In the Hebrew, the word, the word is, is not in there. And so what David is saying, he says, my shepherd, the Lord. In other words, he's saying that his shepherd is the Lord. Or in other words, he could say, the Lord, my shepherd. David, David is so excited because he understands what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be a sheep. David himself was a shepherd. He knew all about taking sheep and, and taking them to the place where they could eat and where they could drink and where they could rest. And now he flips it around and says, you know what? I'm, gonna be, I'm the sheep and the Lord, he's my shepherd. But what makes this also so interesting is let's understand who the Lord is. 
If you look down here in verse 1 and look at your Bible, the word Lord there is, the Lord there is capitalized. In the Hebrew, there was a word for God which was named Yahweh. And what the, they would do, the people who wrote the scriptures, is they, were, they held this word and they held this name of God in so much awe and reverence that it was capitalized in the English when they wrote it here. And this word Lord here, it means I am who I am. It is a name God gave to himself when he talked to Moses in the burning bush. This phrase, Lord, has significant meaning. It means that the Lord is independent of anything else. That he doesn't need anybody else. That in fact, he's the king, he's the creator, and he's Lord over all. That's what this word means here. One person said this, that it was a name of Israel's covenant-keeping God never used of any other. It was only spoken of once a year, we are told, and even then, only by the high priest when he went into the Holy of Holies. The Jewish people held this name in such reverence and awe. But the thing that excites me about this, though, is because his name is, is held so high, the Lord, the Creator, the King, who does David compare it to? A shepherd. Now that's important because a shepherd in the Old Testament times in Israel, it referred to a work which was the lowest of all works. A shepherd wasn't the best job back in David's day. Men didn't go to years of school just trying to be a shepherd. They didn't go to graduate school just to try to be a shepherd. In fact, this job was so menial that the youngest boy in the family was the one who had to take care of the sheep. Once the youngest boy was born and was old enough to take care of the sheep, the older brother went off to a more important position. This is why David, King David, was a shepherd. He was the youngest in the family. And so what happened is, each one of his older brothers had been a shepherd... And as they got older and moved on to better, better jobs, what happened? The younger person had to be a shepherd. And so they just put it off on the youngest one. See, what David is saying here is that the king, the Lord God of the whole universe, takes care of him like a shepherd, like the lowest of all works. He makes this great comparison he understood that the king, even though he is the king and overall, he is like a shepherd who tenderly watches over a sheep and is with his sheep every day. This is who your shepherd is. This is who the Lord. This is when we sang today about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This Lord that we sang about, and, we, and Jesus, who we remember today in communion, is your shepherd. And today, we are going to look at how he is your shepherd. Understand this also. If we look here in verse 1, right before, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. This word my, although it's one syllable, it has tons of meaning. Because David understood that the Lord is his shepherd. It's not just everybody's shepherd, although he is each one of your shepherds personally. That's what David was saying. He's my shepherd. He could rejoice because no matter what circumstance comes his way, or no what circumstance comes your way, or trial, or anything in life, the Lord is your personal shepherd. If you are truly saved, then you are a sheep, and therefore the Lord 
is your shepherd. My desire today is that when each and every one of you walks away today, you will know this shepherd of this psalm and not just the psalm. My hope is that you will know him better and then the trust in this this great shepherd. Today, we're going to look at seven ways of how the Lord is your shepherd so that you can know how to trust in him and the reasons to trust in him when trials come in your way. So now, I can't wait to get in this because this is just a, just a fabulous text. Look with me. The very first way that the Lord is your shepherd is in his provision. It is in his provision. That's the very first way that the Lord is your shepherd. Look with me here at verse 1. David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now basically what David is saying here is that he, does, he will not need everything. He understands that the Lord is such a great provider that he will not be in need of anything. Now, I want you to understand this. Some people take this to say, well, if the Lord is my shepherd, he'll give me everything I want. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't work like that. All right? He, just because the Lord is a great provider, but he doesn't necessarily give you everything you want. But the Lord does provide for you the things that he thinks are necessary for you to be content in him. The Lord does take care of our needs. If you hold your place here in Psalm 23, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount. And in this chapter, he addresses some of the issues of kingdom living. And if you look at me at verse 25 of chapter 6, he addresses a mindset about, about needs and about being wealthy. And follow along with me as I read verse 25. And Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And what Jesus says here, he takes their mindset and says, listen, you are wealthy if you have some food to eat and, and some liquid to drink, and you have clothes on your back. You are wealthy. And, the, and we understand this, and this is what, what he was saying here. We turn back to Psalm 23. David understood that he was wealthy. He had his needs taken care of. Everything that David needed to be content in the Lord, God had provided him. That's exciting. Everything, each and every one of you, whether you're young, whether you're middle-aged, or whether you're older, God has taken care of you. He, he has provided everything you need to be content in Him. 
Now, there is times that you may not have all the food you think necessary. There are times where you may be struggling financially. There are times when you may not have much to do. I mean, many things in your house or anything like that. But the Lord has given you everything you need. This is what David's mindset was. He understood, even though he may struggle sometimes, he may be hungry, he may be thirsty, because he understood that the Lord was a shepherd, then he could make the great statement, I shall not lack anything I need. Because as a shepherd, a shepherd, listen, when a shepherd, he didn't want his sheep to die. Because why? If his sheep died, he would lose some of his, of his livestock. That's how he earned a living. And so a shepherd would look after his sheep, make sure they're provided for. And in the same way, God provided for David. And that is why he could say, I shall not lack. This is a, I want you guys to keep this thought in mind. And this is something I want you to write down and keep this thing through. If the Lord doesn't do or give you anything else in your life other than Jesus Christ, He has already given you more than you deserve. If the Lord doesn't give you anything else in life other than Jesus Christ, He has already given you more than you need. We are blessed. The Lord does provide for us. And I'm sure in here there's probably many of you who have struggled physically with physical needs or just temporal needs. But I encourage you that if God has saved you, you have everything you will ever need in the sense that you guys are going to go to heaven someday. I'm, I'm absolutely amazed that God died for me. Jesus Christ died for me because I'm a sinner. I, I really do deserve to be in hell. And I, I'm still amazed, even, even sitting here today going through communion, thinking about what Jesus Christ did for me upon a cross. He died. He provided God the Father provided a Son so that we may have eternal life. Praise God. That is exciting. And that's the same mindset we need to have. It's the same mindset that David had because he understood the Lord is his shepherd and he does provide that he can say, make that statement. I encourage you today that when you go through trials and circumstances, have this mindset. Understand that the Lord will give you everything you need to be content in him. That's who our Lord is. That is why he's such a great shepherd. And just gets better. As we go on here, the second way that we find out that that the Lord, your Savior, is your shepherd, is in in his goodness. Look with me here in verse 2. David says, back in Psalm 23, that David says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, I'm going to take some time here to explain a little bit about sheep. All right? Now, it's interesting that a sheep will not lie down in green pastures on its own. It is very hard for a sheep to lie down. For a shepherd to get a sheep to lie down and to rest and relax in his surroundings, it is very hard. For, for instance, uh, there's four things that will cause a sheep not to lie down. If he has any fear, if, he, if there's friction among the sheep himself, if there's flies all around, and there's famine, if they're hungry, they will not rest in the Lord. 
understand this. For fear, even if a dog would come by, like a little small dog would come by into a flock, a sheep would get so scared that it would run all over the place. And in Israel, there's, there's, there's different animals that come down and try to prey on these sheep. And if a sheep knew there was any animals around them or any danger, it couldn't relax. It couldn't rest. It just couldn't do it. It couldn't rest. This, the next thing is that if there's any friction among the sheep, it couldn't lie down. Now, in animals, in every animal society, there is established an order of dominance or status within the group. Now, in a group of chickens, we call it what? The pecking order. All right. Now, within cattle, it is called the horning order. And among these sheep, it is called the budding order. All right. Now, because there's this budding order, different sheep would try to gain you know, power over the other one. There were some bossy sheep, just like us. You know, there's different people who try to, you know, be the top dog. All right? Now, understand this. So if, if there is this tension going on among the sheep, they would, not re- they would not lie down. They would not relax. They would not rest in these green pastures. So as we saw so far, because of their fear, because of this friction, it was hard for them to lie down. But it goes on. Another reason they wouldn't lie down is if there was flies all buzzing around. All right? Now, sheep, you know, you guys ever seen horses before or cattle? They all have these flies all going around them and everything. You know, and I saw a horse that's always waving, his, waving its tail, getting the flies out of there. But that's the same with the sheep. When, when they would, the flies would go around them and if, and if flies were bothering the sheep, they couldn't, rela- they couldn't rest. They couldn't relax. It'd be very hard for them. And so that's why it's so hard for a sheep to lie down. And the last thing that would make them hard to lie down was the fact that they were hungry or they were famished. If they were at all hungry, they wouldn't lie down. So now, let's understand this. If a sheep was so resilient to lying down and resting because of all these different circumstances, how could David say then that the Lord made him lie down in green pastures? If David's viewing himself as a sheep here, how could, he, how could he understand this? I'll put it to you guys. All right. if, if you have all these circumstances going on in your life, if, you, if there is fears out there, if there is, say, friction, even among yourselves in here, if there's all these trials and circumstances going on in your life, how is it that the Lord can make you rest and be at peace with Him? How is it? Am I saying here that the only way that you can lie down in green pastures is if every circumstance is taken away? No, not at all. See, what happens is, the reason David could make a statement about the fact that even though there's all these trials going on in his life, that he could lie down, was because he understood that the Lord was a shepherd. And in the very beginning, when I came to this point, I said the reason... The Lord is your shepherd is because of his goodness. Now understand this. Trials will come, but God is good. In Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph wrote down these, uh, he said a great statement. And it said, although you meant it for evil, the Lord God meant it for good. Now what's interesting about Joseph is that his whole life, from right when he was with his brothers when he was younger, up to this point, 
had been filled with trials. In the Old Testament, it talks about this guy, Joseph, who was, his brothers tried to kill him. After that didn't work, they picked him up out of a pit. They sold him into slavery. Then Joseph, while he was in slavery, he was in a house, and Joseph was a good-looking man, and the, and the house that he was in there with, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Joseph, being a godly man, said no. He gave, he gave Potiphar's wife to stiff arm and said no. I'm, I'm not going to have adulterous affair with you. And what happened was, then, then she lied about him, and she said that he tried to seduce her. And he was, he was trying to honor God. He didn't want to do that. And see, Joseph had all these tough circumstances, all these trials going on in his life. But as we get to Genesis 50, at the end of his life, he makes this great statement. Even though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. The reason we can, we can lie down, the reason we can rest, the reason we can relax and have peace with God is because of his goodness. I want you to understand something which is crystal clear. In Romans 8.28, it says that God works all things together for good according to those who are, who are called according to his purpose. Now what it says, it doesn't say there that all situations, everything that happens in life is good, but it says that God works on out for good. And we can, we can understand then that God does have great goodness. He's very good. That is why David was able to have peace and rest in the Lord, rest in these green pastures, even in spite of all the trials. The Lord caused him, with his goodness, to lie down in these green pastures. He wasn't like a sheep that couldn't lie down because of all the trials around there. But he understood, though, because of God's goodness, because of his absolute trust in the shepherd, that he would take away every, that he would remove anything that would cause him to have any, um, be unsettled, he could say the Lord is a shepherd. That's great. Men and ladies, I'm sure some of you have gone through tremendous grief, tremendous trials, much more than I have ever gone through before. And I encourage you to rest in the Lord, to understand that He is a good God. And when you get to that time where you're not sure what the Lord is doing, why is it that you don't have everything you think you need? Or why is it that, that my child was born, died? Or why is it that my car broke down? Or why is it that I didn't get the raise at work? Or why is it that I didn't get the position on the sports team? Or, or why, 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 why? And we can just go on and on about all these different trials. But when you get to that point, understand that God is a good God. He really is. And Romans 8.28 is such a powerful verse because he really does work all things together for good. He does. Not everything is good, but he does work things together for good. Understand that. That is why David could say so confidently, the Lord is my shepherd. So far we've seen that the Lord is, is your shepherd in his first provision, secondly, in his goodness, now thirdly, in his wisdom and supply of spiritual nourishment. And this is a great truth. Look with me again in verse 2. David says that the Lord, he leads me beside the still waters. Now, understand this. Where where did the Old Testament and the New Testament, where did all these events take place? Israel. 
Israel, right. Now in Israel, there wasn't that many good water sources. So, if a shepherd was going to take a sheep to a water source, he had to be wise. He didn't know where it's at. And not only were some water sources hard to find, but they had to be still water. If we look here again in verse 3, David says he leads me beside the still waters. See, a sheep wouldn't go, wouldn't go drink in any water if it was raging. And so the shepherd would have to lead him to a, this water source that not only was a, a water source, but was a still water source. But not only that, the shepherd would have to know whether this water was polluted or not. Because if it was polluted, what would happen? The sheep would drink it, and they would die, and then he would lose his livestock. That's how he made money. So he, he, he didn't want to do that. A shepherd had to be wise. And we look here at verse 3, and we say, He leads me beside the still waters. The Lord is wise. And I'll put it this way. For you guys, the spiritual waters, the Lord will lead you and, and, will, and will nourish you. He's wise in the way he nourishes for you. One person says this, to offset the dangers of polluted water, God invites us to allow ourselves to be led and guided by his own gracious and wise spirit. The spirit will guide us so that we may have our spiritual thirst quenched. David understood that the Lord had guided him. He was wise. He brought him, he brought him where he needed to be. And, he, and he, did, he did supply his spiritual thirst. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be filled. This is what the Lord does. This is the one way he is your shepherd. He's wise and he, and he, he will cause you to have your spiritual thirst filled. That's who he is. That's one of the reasons David could say with, with such great authority again, the Lord is my shepherd. The next way that the, we can see the Lord is your shepherd is in verse 3 here. And that is in his restoration. And David's, and this is what David says. He says, the Lord restores my soul. This is great. Now, in, when you're a shepherd, all right, and this is, what, this is what I've read about being a shepherd, a sheep is a, is a pretty dumb animal, all right? Pretty dumb, all right? And now, what happens when a sheep, it fall, if, if it falls over on its back, have you guys, I don't know if you guys have animals, but you have dogs or cats, and they sleep with all fours up in the air? Well, my dog did when I was growing up in Philadelphia. So, anyway, but that's what I'm used to. I've seen this dog, and I was, I was all up in its fours like this. Now, when a sheep was on all of its fours, I mean, on its fours, but up like this, and, has, and it was laying like this, it couldn't do anything. It was completely helpless. It couldn't get up on its own. So what the shepherd would have to do is he would go and pick up the sheep and restore it back to its proper position. That's what he had to do. He would restore it and put it back in its proper position. And when the Lord, and when Dave's saying here how the Lord restores his soul, he brings his soul back to its proper position. And this is, this is what he does for you. 
He brings your soul back to the proper place of worship. Now understand this all. Understand this. When the Lord will not let you wander further than you can go. A shepherd wouldn't let a sheep wander too far. He would want to restore them. If, now understand this. If a sheep, his, if, his, if his soul was wrong against God. Okay, so we'll, just, we'll just go back here. If, they, if a sheep um, wasn't following the shepherd and he was wandering off his own path and he was up like, and, he, and, he, and he got into danger, the shepherd would go after him and try to bring him back to its proper place it needed to be. In fact, if a, if a sheep kept disobeying a shepherd and kept wandering away, you know what he would do? The shepherd would go and break all four of its legs. Now, why do you think he would do that? He did that because he didn't want to see the sheep get in danger. So he'd break the legs, he'd pick up the sheep, he'd put it on his shoulders, and then he'd carry it around for a while. Because he wanted to restore the sheep to his proper relationship with the shepherd. And the same way, the Lord restores your soul. When, you, when your soul is sorrowing, he will revive it. When it is sinful, the Lord will sanctify it. When your soul is weak, the Lord will strengthen it. The Lord, if you're truly saved, the Lord will not allow you to go too far. He will restore you. What a, Let's put this in perspective. In Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews states that the Lord disciplines those, disciplines those whom he loves. Those who are wandering away or those who need to be restored, the Lord will discipline them to bring them back to this proper position. Now, sometimes you may be thinking, well, I know some people who are who are genuinely saved, I believe, and they're, and they're in sin. And, and you know what? The Lord will go after them. And sometimes the only way that a person, if, if they're truly saved, can be restored is if God kills them. And God takes their life and he restores them. The only way to restore them to really where they need to be is in heaven. And David was excited here because David, if you understand David, remember he was, he was running from Saul his soul was, was famished. He, he was in great agony. He was in great stress. He, he, was, he hurt because everybody, he was supposed to be the king, and yet people, Saul was trying to kill him. But what, what, what happened? Evidently, the Lord had strengthened his soul. He restored his soul. And that is why David had great confidence in saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Understand this. When your soul, when you're, when you're, when you're hurting... The Lord will restore you. He will bring you back to the proper place of worship. Now, do you guys trust in the Savior? Do you understand who He is? Do you rejoice even when your soul is down and the Lord restores your soul? The Lord does do that. He will keep His sheep from wandering too far. That's what the Lord does. That is absolutely great. So, so far we looked at the Lord is our shepherd in how many ways? Four ways so far. We looked at the Lord is our shepherd in his provision, in his goodness, in his wisdom, fourthly, in his restoration, and now fifthly, in his guidance. And this is one we can all identify with. If we look with me at verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 3, David says that the Lord, he leads me 
in the paths of righteousness. The Lord is a great guide. He led him. Now understand this. One pastor mentioned that sheep are not independent travelers. They must have a human conductor. They cannot go to predetermined places by themselves. They cannot cannot start out in the morning in search of pasture and then come home at evening time. They have apparently no sense of direction. The greenest pasture may be only a few miles away, but the sheep left to themselves cannot find it. What animal is more incapable than a sheep? He realizes his impotence, for no animal is more docile. Where the shepherd leads, the sheep will go. He knows that a shepherd is a guide and that it is safe to follow him. The Lord leads you on the paths of righteousness. He leads you on the correct paths that will cause you to honor him, to cause, cause you to be holy. If we look back here in verse 3, he, it says that he leads us in these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The Lord will take you on the path in your life for him, for his glory. Now, think about this. When I said before how all you guys can relate to this, is we all of us have different paths in life. We all, have, we all go different ways. And sometimes we don't understand, well, Lord, why do you allow me to go through this? This isn't the correct path. I don't, I don't think this is the correct path. Why is it I have to suffer like this? Or why is it that I'm hungry all the time? Or why is it... And you can just fill in the blank there. But the Lord will take you on that path so that you become more like Him. He leads you in the path of righteousness. Back when I was a senior in high school, this is about nine years ago, I, I used to play sports. I played baseball, and I was looking to possibly play baseball in college. And then also, the Lord had really blessed me in academics. But my senior year in high school, I started getting these dizzy spells and headaches. And, I don't, and to this, till this day, no one has any idea where they're from or how, what causes them. But what happened was, I had my path already marked out. I wanted to go be a doctor. I wanted to go play baseball for a living. But the Lord had other plans. He brought in these dizzy spells and these trials, which at the time I was really frustrated with. I said, Lord, I don't understand. And, and at times, I, know, I remember my sophomore year in college, there were some times where I, I had a real hard time reading. And I, I, was, I begged God. I, I couldn't figure out, Lord, here I am in college. I'm trying to study. And it, it was so hard for these dizzy spells. And I didn't understand. I couldn't figure out what in the world he was doing or what path. But it was so, and this is so exciting. And the Lord had to really break me this, to teach me this. But he, all these dizzy spells, all these headaches and, the, and these trials that came along with it, it caused me to completely have to depend upon the Lord. It was so exciting. I needed, because I was, I was stubborn. I was a stubborn Christian. I needed to be absolutely broken. I needed to go on a different path so that the Lord could teach me about himself and so that he could cause me to grow and walk with him. You know, sometimes I get nervous nowadays because I have all these trials all the time, and I'm thinking, you know, am I really not learning anything? I mean, I'm, you know, am, I, am I really that stupid? I'm trying to learn what the Lord has for me. But you know what? God does that. No matter what path you're on, even right now if your child was just in a hospital, even if you're struggling through a divorce right now, understand that God has you on a path for a reason. Now, I will point this out. If you choose to sin, 
and you choose to disobey God, you know, then you're going on a place, you know, you're going someplace that God doesn't want you to go because you're going against His will. Understand that. But do understand this. Throughout life, God will lead you where He wants you to go so that you might become more like Him. See, God loves you. He really does. But understand this. God hates sin also. God, God is a, this, a, this great God. And He will lead you where you need to go so that you can become more holy and ultimately become more like God. And if you become more like God, who gets the glory? God does. And because He saved us from our sins, because He's provided a Savior for us, we need to glorify God with everything we do. Let's go on. As time's creeping away here. The next, the next way that the Lord is your shepherd, we look with me here in verse 4, it's, it's because He is always there for you. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why could they fear no evil? Look with me in verse 4. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David understood that God was always with him. Even if you're by yourself, ladies and gentlemen, God is with you. How can you have trust? How can you get through your trials? Claim the promises of Hebrews 13.5. What does that say? The Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord is always there. That is why it provides so much comfort. That is why it's such a great truth that the Lord is your shepherd. The shepherd had to be there to protect the sheep. And David knew that, and then he as a sheep said, Wow, the Lord is there. He's always there. He will never leave me nor forsake me. That is this foundational and that is why we can trust in the Lord and have such great hope even and great joy even in the midst of great sorrow because He's your shepherd, because He is always there. Interesting here, right here at the end here in verse 4, David says that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the rod and the staff for a shepherd were what he used for protection and what he used for direction. And because David understood that the Lord protected him and also led him, there was great comfort in that. The final way that the Lord is your shepherd is the fact that He is a blessing God. And look with me in verse 5. And, it's, and He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, so much so that what? My cup runs over. That's who God is. He pours out, he pours out spiritual blessings upon you. Even in, even in front of your enemies, it says here, He will prepare a table before you. He will bless you even in front of your enemies. It's interesting. This phrase here, you anoint my head with oil. Oil was used to comfort a sheep. See, a sheep would sometimes run in the rocks, run in the briars, and it would get all scraped up. And so a shepherd would take oil and pour it on top of his head. And it would soothe a sheep or also heal a sheep. Basically, what it did is it invigorated the sheep. It caused the sheep to have trust in the shepherd. And the Lord, the same way, pours out spiritual blessings, pours out blessings upon us, and so that we can maybe be invigorated for the Lord. We can be rejuvenated, as one commentator said. That's the Lord. It's so exciting because in Ephesians 1.3, it says that as a Christian, we have every spiritual blessings 
in the heavenly places in Christ. We have every spiritual blessing. Even in, even in the presence of your enemies, the Lord still is a blessing God. As a result of the Lord being a shepherd, look with me as David concludes. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can have intimate fellowship with my God and my, my Savior, my shepherd, all the days of my life because he is my shepherd. God is great. He's our shepherd in the fact that he's in his provision, in his goodness, in his wisdom. What else? In his restoration. This is great things. In the way he guides us, in the way he blesses us, and also in the way that he is always with us. I want to read you a story. There is a story. I do not know its source. It tells of an old man and a young man on the same platform before a vast audience of people. A special program was being presented. As part of the program, each was to repeat from memory the words of the 23rd Psalm. The young man, trained in the best speech technique and drama, gave in the language of the ancient silver-tongued order the words of the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. When this great actor and this great orator got done, the audience clapped their hands and cheered, asking him to return so they might hear again his wonderful voice. Then the old gentleman, leaning heavily upon his cane, stepped to the front of the same platform and in feeble, shaking voice, repeated the same words, The Lord is my shepherd. But when he was seated, no sound came from the listeners. Folks, they seemed to pray. In the silence, the young man stood to make the following statement. Friends, he said, I wish to make an explanation. You ask for me to come back and re repeat the psalm, but you remain silent when my friend was seated. The difference, I shall tell you. I know the psalm, but this old man, he knows his shepherd. Do you know the shepherd? If you honestly are not saved today, I urge you to get saved. If you have no idea who the shepherd is, to get saved. And for those of you believers, do you guys know the shepherd? Not just the psalm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are awesome. And I absolutely praise you, Father. Lord, you're such a great God and you provide for us. Lord, help us to trust in you. Please, comfort these people here who are struggling with trials. Lord, please cause us to trust in you because there's nobody better to trust in than you, our great shepherd. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For those of you who have any questions, right over here on the doors, there is a room where people want to talk to you about salvation or if any Christians are struggling, please come and love to talk to you. You guys are dismissed. <laughs>